Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. And today we're going to uh, come to a conclusion of this chapter, which has been a very uh, interesting chapter. Um, it's a chapter that I've really tried to single out kind of as its own little series within the larger book and, and bring three messages that I think really, um, they, they explain the situation that's going on historically in the book of Acts as we come to this, but really there's a lot of implications here about leadership, about uh, the leadership of the early church and, and how churches are to be led and, and, and a, an example and a model from the New Testament, and then in our lives, principles that we can apply. And so if you remember, the first uh, message that we had um, from Acts chapter 15 had to do with the beginning of the chapter where it's set up, and these individuals have come down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and, and they begin saying, if the Gentiles are not um, circumcised and keep the law of Moses, they're not saved. And this qu caused quite a stir. And Paul and Barnabas, they debated them there in Antioch, and then they decided to send a group up to Jerusalem to say, is this really what the apostles in Jerusalem are teaching now? And so they go up there, and there's a talk with these that are called the, the Judaizers, these that want to keep uh, Moses' law, that you have to keep Moses' law to become a Christian, essentially is what the argument is. And if you remember... There was a great debate. They talk about how the Gentiles had been saved, how they had received the Holy Spirit, just as the Jews had. And they come to the conclusion and they say that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And we said at that message that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That's right. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And there comes a point in time with individuals that if that is the argument... That individuals are adding something besides grace. That you must have X, whatever that is, to be saved. That is an area of first priority where the gospel will be lost and we must oppose that. The next set of messages that we looked at had to do with uh, the, the pastor there in Jerusalem. James stands up after Peter has made his declaration. He agrees with Peter, but he goes further and he says that not only are these Gentiles saved, but let's, let's send them a letter. Let's apologize for these that have come from down here and disturbed them. And, and let's just highlight some areas of conviction that they need to be sensitive to. And so there's areas of convi conviction there that the Jewish believers, as to, not, as to not offend the Jews who were not believers, or the Jewish believers that held a high conviction on these issues, there were some things that they highlighted that the Gentiles should be careful of. And so uh, they said not to, uh, not to eat the blood, not to um, kill an, an animal by strangulation. This is all you know, part of cultural stuff um, to, to abstain from sexual immorality. Again, they would have been uh, raised in a culture where this was, these things were just kind of normal. And so they, they highlight a few of these areas where there might be convictions and there might be differences. And, and they say to, to abstain from these things, to watch out for these things. And, and the overall principle that we saw in this was a, a personal grace. And we talked about the fact that we have convictions. We have the Word of God and we have personal convictions. And we have to be very careful that we understand the rule of the Word of God and we understand where personal convictions are. Personal convictions are good, we all have them, they are perfect for you to keep, but the Word of God applies to everyone universally, and our personal convictions apply to us. 
right? And so that was the, the second message, that different does not equal sin, or different does not equal wrong. The third equation, I was thinking through math equations, I think, when I was writing these, and so they all kind of came to me like this. It comes out today, and that is this. Two is greater than zero. Two is greater than zero. And you say, well, that seems odd. Why do you have that? Well, because today we are going to look at strange providence, it seems, of how God doubles the missionary effort of the church. There's going to arise a, a, a contention between Paul and Barnabas. And instead of them both giving up and walking away from the ministry through God's providence of all the things that happened, what ends up actually happening is the missionary force of the church goes from one group to two groups. And so that's what we're going to look at today. As we do that, to kind of introduce it and, and think about it and set this in context, let me, let, let me ask this. What are you passionate about? Are there things that you are passionate about? And, and of course you are. You know, I'm a very passionate person. I just can't hide it. I get excited. Um, that's, you know, people say, well, what's your secret to preaching? I was like, I, I love the Word of God, and I learn about it, and I get excited about it. And then I get to tell other people about it. Like, that's, that's really it. Um, I, you know, I don't try it. That's just, it, I get excited about it. What are you excited about? What are you passionate about? Well, I can tell you that I probably know the things that you're passionate about. And it's the things that you absolutely believe you are right about. Right? Because if we're like, eh, maybe, we're usually not very passionate about that subject. But the things that we become very passionate about are the things that we think and, and know absolutely this is it. You can't tell me any other. I don't care what evidence you try to show me. This is it. That's the things that we're passionate about. And we all have convictions. We all have these things that we're passionate about, whether important or not important. We all have them, and we all get very passionate about these things. And sometimes we, well, we always make decisions based on this. We, we make decisions and calculate about the things that we're passionate about, the things that we're sure of. We make decisions, and sometimes our passions and the things that we're sure of might even lead us to poor decisions, wouldn't it? When we come to this text today, I think that's kind of what we see, is we see two, two passionate, God-loving individuals who, because of their passions and because of their convictions, they, they make a, a, a decision and there is this conflict that arises. And um, the, you know, what, what comes out of it is, is based on that. It's, it's who they are. And so sometimes our convictions, our passions, they, they can be the greatest thing about us. And sometimes they can be our biggest blind spot, can't they? Look with me at this passage. Acts 15. Acts 15, and we're going to begin looking at verse 36 through the end of the chapter. Acts 15, verse 36. This is God's word. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Mission trip part two. Let's go back. Verse 37. 
Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take him with them, the one who had withdrawn from them from Philampia, and had not gone with them to the work. And so there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, and having commanded, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, they went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. What an interesting passage, isn't it? It's very interesting to me that Acts chapter 15 begins with a debate, it, 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 it begins with a conflict, and it ends with a conflict. And so here we have uh, this conflict which is uh, really interesting. I mean, it, it seems almost like it's out of place in the Bible, doesn't it? These two heroes of the early church, Paul and Barnabas, peanut butter and jelly, right? Always together, always doing it. They have a sharp disagreement to the point that they say, you go your way, I'll go my way. Interesting passage, isn't it? It's a helpful passage because in reality, as much as we would like every ideal situation that we could think of and we would want everything to be roses and unicorns, the reality of it is that often in the church that is not the case. There arises difficulties there arises different personalities there arises different passions different thoughts of the best way to do things uh, of, of good things sometimes how do we reach people how do we worship we we have things that are good things in themselves good goals that we're trying to do and yet we might have very different personal convictions on them even the same doctrine but very different convictions very different applications and so sometimes what we'll find on these issues is that even within a church, we'll find disagreement. Sometimes we'll find very sharp disagreement. You know, the Bible tells us in a local body, in a church, that we should be unified, that we should have unity. But what the Bible doesn't say is that uh, it says that we should be uh, that we should have unity, but not that we should all be exactly the same. We're going to be different. We're going to have different convictions. We're going to have different ideas. We're going to have different gifts. We're going to have different talents. We're going to have different bends and needs and experiences that we all bring together and work together as a body. And sometimes, even on secondary issues, again, they're not they're not compromising. They're not talking about the gospel. This is a very different kind of splitting than the beginning of Acts 15 where the Judaizers and the church depart ways. They can't agree with what the Judaizers are saying that you have to add something to be saved. But here it's who do we use in ministry? Who do we bring with us? Who's the most helpful? How do we approach this challenge? Who should we take and what should we do? And so there's four points of application that I want to make in this as we go through it. And I think that this is helpful because, again, this is a, this is a strange text in the flow of everything, isn't it? But I think it's very helpful for us because we, too, today, 
experience differences in personalities, differences in convictions, differences in practice sometimes on things that are secondary issues. Many times we can work together. We can, we can say, all right, brother, this doesn't affect the gospel. You can do your thing. I can do my thing. And we can do this together and lift each other up. And sometimes it does create a point to where we say it would be in the best interest for my cause and your cause, for my effort and your effort, if we separated. And that's a reality that we have to deal with sometimes, isn't it? So let's look at it here. I want to, again, make a few points that I think can help us to think through this. The first is this. Spiritually mature Christians can disagree. Spiritually mature Christians can disagree. We often think that, you know, if we're, if we're mature, then we'll never have any disagreement with anyone else. You know, we'll, we'll look at a situation and go, well, he, he's the mature Christian and, and he's the immature Christian. It's really hard to look at Paul and Barnabas and say that, isn't it? I, I mean, from the text that we have so far of Paul and of Barnabas, it's really hard to, to look at that and say one is more mature than the other. One has more experience than the other. One has more spiritual insight than the other. No, this is just passions and personalities and making decisions to work together. And, and because of that, there, there, there came this tension in their relationship. There came this tension in what they can do. And, you know, sometimes even men who have the same theology have different methodology. They had the same theology, didn't they? They both believed by, that, that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. They just argued that at the Jerusalem Council. They, they believed the same things. They preached the same gospel. Yet when it came to personal convictions of, of who to take and where to go, how to reach others, they had different convictions on that methodology. We see this sometimes. They're both godly. They're both committed to Christ. Clashes, personality clashes can happen between individuals who have served Christ together for a long time. Sometimes you've walked with someone for a long time and a, a, a different situation comes up or their uh, analysis of what is effective and what's not effective and how to approach a situation, sometimes it just changes. And so, uh, again, we need to not just think that, this, that there's a simple answer to these things. Oh, he is mature and he's not. Because what we have here is we have two servants of God with different drives, with different personalities, trying to accomplish the, the will of God, trying to be disciples to all nations, trying to take the word of God to the Gentiles to strengthen and to build churches. They're both trying to do the same thing. They just have a different opinion of the method and, and how they should go about it. Different isn't always wrong. That's the, fir the first thing I want you to see here is this, that, that, that spiritually mature Christians can disagree. There's no simple answer to this. There's no, because we want simple answers, right? We want to be able to say, you're wrong, you're right. <laughs> you're wrong, you're right. We, we, we live in very much that kind of a world. There's no, there's no middle. There's, no, there's just, you're wrong, you're right. And usually you're wrong or you're right based on whether or not my personal conviction lines up with yours. But here again, 
I, I don't think that you can point that one was in sin and one was not in sin. And yet God uses, in the background of this, the amazing providence of God is this. God uses these independent decisions that these men make based on their own experiences, their own personal convictions, and their decision is, well, we're going to depart and we're going to separate, go separate ways. All right? That's their intention, and yet God's intention in the background of it through his providence is, we just doubled the missionary force. And we'll see great success from Paul and Mark, or from Barnabas and Mark and Paul and Silas as they move forward in the book of Acts. And so remember, mature Christians can disagree, and God is sovereign in the midst of everything, even in the midst of this. Second is this, when we do find ourselves in disagreements, personality disagreements with other believers, in areas particularly about ministry, be careful not to allow your disagreement to cause sin. Don't allow disagreement to cause sin. This, this is the problem most of the time, isn't it? Right? I'm very passionate about something. And, and I'm so passionate about it. And, and you have a different view. And you're passionate about that view. And we begin to discuss it. And we sharply disagree and before long, we go from a disagreement of opinion and facts to slander and name-calling and sin against one another. It's really easy, isn't it? I mean, that's what we do. And, and I'll just tell you, I've seen this in, in the past eight years in our culture more and more. You can't, you can't have friends anymore that you disagree with, right? Like, if you have friends that you disagree with on certain things, on politics, who's ever always agreed on politics? Everybody's always disagreed on politics, right? We've always had different opinions on how things should be implemented and done and, and whether a decision was good or bad or the, the outcome on it. That's always been an issue. But now, for some reason, if you don't line up exactly 1,000% how someone else does, oh, I just can't be your friend anymore because we can't discuss topics we we so quickly in our culture today and, it, and it's it's bled over into the church there's a whole lot of church fighting right now over over godly men who are trying to accomplish godly things with different perspectives and different personalities and instead of debating whether or not an idea has merit oh that guy's a loser. He's horrible. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, we don't see that here. We see they have a disagreement and they, they come to a conclusion that maybe it'll be best if I go this way and you go this way. But they don't go then into the towns. Barnabas doesn't go to Cyprus and go, hey, that guy Paul that was with me before, loser. He doesn't do that. Paul doesn't go north of there and tell them, Barnabas, he's a false teacher, don't listen. If he comes up here, you tell me and you run him out. Just, just don't even let him in your town if he comes. They don't do that. Now they do have a disagreement and there's, there's a whole lot of debate. Who's right? Commentaries will go on for pages and pages to try to 
pick sides of one or pick sides of the other, that one was right and one was wrong, and I, I don't think you can do that. I just don't think you can do that. What I do think you can say is if there's anything that you could attribute to sin here, it's because that they were nearsighted of their own personal passions. I mean, here you have Paul, and, and Paul is the hero of the gospel in Acts, right? You know, Paul will go anywhere, any place, any time. You can beat him, you can stone him, you can curse him, you can do whatever you want. And he's going to stand and he's going to preach the gospel, right? He's going to go to the synagogue, he's going to go to Mars Hill, he's going to go wherever he can, and he's going to preach the gospel, and it doesn't matter what you face against him, he's going to stand there and he's going to preach and he's going to be bold. Barnabas is, anybody remember the, the name Barnabas, what it means? The son of encouragement. And he exemplifies it through the New Testament, doesn't he? You remember if you go back earlier in Acts, Paul, who was known as Saul of Tarsus, the great persecutor of the church, God miraculously saves him and the church's enemy becomes the church's greatest evangelist. It's an incredible, incredible story, but Jerusalem isn't ready yet to receive him. And so Paul becomes a Christian, they send him to Jerusalem that he would meet with the apostles, and when he gets up there, they're all a little bit like, I don't know about this guy. Is this legit? And do you remember who comes and seeks him out? Barnabas. Barnabas comes and seeks him out, and he takes him then to the apostles, and he, 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 uh, he uses his own um, credit you guys know me. You guys know I love Jesus. You know I love the church. Paul's the real deal. This is the real deal, you guys. We need to listen to Paul. We need to, we need to greet him. We need to receive him. That's Barnabas's, that's, that's his DNA. That's his passion. That's who he is. And so when it comes to John Mark... We're not told why Mark left. I, I think that we can deduce as we look at the different scriptures what we can say is some kind of hardship or, 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 or something for some reason, for no good reason, at least in Paul's mind, as they begin the trip to Cyprus before they go further, John Mark checks out. I don't know if things were getting hot, if the food was bad and he wanted to go home, he missed mama. I don't know what it was. But for some reason, he turned and went back. And so they go through all of this, and actually they, they finish the first missionary journey, they go back, they go up to Jerusalem, they, they debate with the Judaizers, they come back. And then the, the church uh, there in Antioch says, we're going to send you out again. And they're like, excellent, we're ready to go. We want to encourage the brothers, we've got this awesome letter from the apostles saying we are saved by grace in Christ by through faith and nothing else you don't have to be a Jew to become a Christian we want to go share this with them and so then they start to gather the team Barnabas says what about my cousin John Mark he's ready to go again and Paul's like him I don't want to take somebody that's going to desert us. I don't, want to, I don't want to put the effort and the training and the resources 
in for someone who's not going to stick it out. You can see his argument, right? Like, can you, can you, can you see that? I, I have to tell you, if I look at the personalities of this debate, I, Mark ain't going. <laughs> I, I'm Paul. And then you have Barnabas, who looks at his cousin, and, you know, we don't know fully what's going on, but, but he saw in him, you know, no, Paul, he, he's ready. And, and I know he disappointed you, but, but he loves the Lord, and I think he's going to, I think he'd be a great asset for us. And he wants to come. This would be good for him. What I want you to see is sometimes our, our greatest passions and, and maybe some of our greatest attributes to ministry can also be our greatest weaknesses. Do you see that? Paul, in, his, in his, uh, his determination for the gospel, his steadfastness, he, he couldn't do ministry with a weaker brother. Barnabas, with his gracefulness and his encouragement, he looked at what Mark did and said, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Do, do you see that? When we step back from that and we think about that, I think it's very helpful for us. I think it's very helpful for us to understand where we might have conflicts with others in the church and where we need to be careful not to be too domineering in our passions that we might cause conflict and might cause sin. Third, don't allow disagreement to cripple service. This happens so much. In my years of being a pastor, uh, the, the Lord has sent a number of individuals, godly good individuals who have been so hurt by others and by churches. Our, our, church in the, that we, our church plant that we started in Tennessee, like everybody that came to that church for the most part were people that had been hurt in other churches. And, and, and they had just kind of stopped serving because they'd had a personality conflict, they felt like they didn't fit, something happened and they were hurt, nobody reached out. And so they just, they just stopped. And God used that time in those people's lives to reawaken uh, their zeal and their passion for Christ. And even though that, that church plant was very small, it, it didn't do what I imagined that it would do. God used that in great ways where those individuals are, are serving in ministry now. Where those individuals have been reconciled into, to families and serving the Lord and they're engaged and healthy again in, in churches. And, and, and it's so easy for us to have a personality conflict over minor things. How many of us leave a church over issues of the gospel? Uh, we're more likely they didn't they didn't try they didn't try my casserole. How dare them? They didn't they didn't say hi to me for a whole month. They must not love me there. And we can be petty, can't we? Sometimes there can be real personality conflicts that happen in the church. We have to be very careful then 
not to allow disagreement to cripple our service. We need to come to a, to a thought, can we work together? Can, can we work together? Or perhaps we can, we can work together, but just on divergent paths together in the same church. And sometimes there are times and places and, and, and opportunities where the Lord moves someone because of this. There can be a good way to do that in the Lord's providence, and there can be a whole lot of wrong ways that you can go about that. Does that make sense? Now, the Lord's not moving any of you, so I just want you to, to hear that. He just spoke to me. <laughs> but really, it, it's amazing as a pastor and sad sometimes to see the things that will rile someone's feathers. And then they walk away, sometimes from the church for a period of time. Sometimes they just walk away from a church family that loved them so much, but they just got their feathers ruffled about something and because of pride and their personality. They won't let it go, can't let it go. We've got to be careful not to allow that to happen. Last, don't allow disagreement create spite don't allow disagreement to create spite and this is the hard one isn't it you come to a point of sharp disagreement with someone to the point that perhaps you split ways with that person i mean it was it was a big deal right and what do you want to do jerk right that awful horrible you just want to dwell on it and, and here's, what we, here's what we often do in our mind, is we take an incident, we take a situation, we take um, a disagreement, a conflict of personality, we take that moment and, and we make an action, and then we walk away from it, and, and here's what we intrinsically do in our minds, is we reframe it. We reframe it more and more that I was right. We talk to others and, and we continue to reframe it about how right I was and how wrong they were. And, and we just build on that and build on that and build on that. And sometimes what you'll find is if you're removed from the situation and you get introduced into it, what you'll find on both sides is two completely different stories of the same incident that happened. Because we will convince ourselves, we'll, we'll dig in and dig down and we'll pile it high, won't we? All right, maybe it's just me. Y'all are looking at me like, I'd never do that. Whatever. <laughs> That's what we do. And we create a spite, an unforgiveness in our heart. Where we take someone, it, it, it's horrible when it happens in the church, we'll take another believer, and in our mind and in our hearts, we'll just, we'll just become so bitter and so angry with that. Notice what happened here. Um, you'd have to read the rest of the New Testament, but, but we have this very sharp disagreement. We have this split over what to do about John Mark. <laughs> How would you like to be John Mark and have this preached about you all the time? Like, <laughs> nobody ever forgets that time that you left the mission trip early. But Barnabas takes John Mark. John Mark is faithful. John Mark is, is associated in the rest of his life through church history with the apostles. In fact, he writes a book. Anyone know what that book's called? The Gospel of Mark. 
And the Gospel of Mark is actually, the early church attributed that to Peter because John Mark served as Peter's personal secretary for many years. And so the early church would call the Gospel of Mark the memoirs of Peter. And so he was very faithful. But beyond that, what we see in Paul and Mark is amazing. Because what we see is in 2 Timothy, in Philemon... Paul writes about John Mark and says he is a fellow laborer. In 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's last letter, he asks that Mark would be able to come to him because he's profitable for his ministry. Isn't that great? you got to love it. As much as you look at Acts 15 and go, man, this just looks horrible. You see, the grace of God... And you see that this division didn't cause such spite in the life of Paul that he's like, I never want anything to do with that loser, John Mark, again. No, in fact, one of the very last things he says that's recorded in Scripture is, I would really like to have John Mark come here with me. He would be so much help to me. That's beautiful, isn't it? We see reconciliation in that. And that can't happen if we live with spite when we have a personality conflict with another. So let me end with this, with a couple of, 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 of points of application. I know this is a very different sermon. This is a very different text. But I hope that this is helpful because I think this is a real issue that we all experience. So let me, let me end with four questions that I think are helpful for us when we come into a sharp disagreement with another believer, especially over things of belief, faith, practice in the ministry. Number one is this, what's the real issue? It's really easy for issues that aren't the real issue to rise up to the top. But the question is, what is the real issue? Is this doctrine? Is this practice? Is this personal conviction? Is there sin? What's the, what's the real issue that's causing all of this heat? Second is this, what does the Bible teach? The word of God is the rule for our life, amen? Amen. We believe that it's God's word that it's given to us to train us in all righteousness, to have all wisdom, to have all discernment. And so we need to stop and evaluate our own personal convictions. Are they biblical? Is the way that we're going about this scriptural? What does the Bible say about this? And there's going to be times where we'll look at the Bible and godly men will look at the same passage or they'll look at, at two principles in the, pas- in, in the Bible. I mean, you can t- talk about this about, uh, uh, about Paul and about Barnabas. Barnabas could be looking at passages about grace and forgiveness. And Paul could be looking at passages about stand fast, stay firm, preach the word. And so sometimes that, that, that helps, but sometimes both of you can, can see that within Scripture. What can I learn? What can I learn from the other person? What can I learn through this scenario? This is a good question in hindsight. Was my passion what caused this issue to come about? Was I too passionate about this issue? And then fourth is this. I know it's kind of trife, but what would Jesus do, right? Remember the, the bracelets? What would Jesus do? And It's a good question, though. How would the Lord approach this? There, there are situations where, where the Lord would approach things harshly. You know, what would Jesus do? Well, one of the options is to toss tables and make a whip. <laughs> it is. 
because he did that. Or he would give grace and encouragement. So it's a good question to ask. I want to leave you with this. You get more, you know, you know the scripture where, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is there, right? Well, for Baptists, that's where a business meeting takes place. But it also means there's going to be a different opinion about something. And that's the reality. And it's okay that we have different opinions and different personalities and different passions. In fact, I would say much of that is God's gifting for us for service, to sharpen one another, to make the body diverse in its ability and its calling to do ministry. Let's keep our passions in check, though. And let's keep our passion focused on the Word of God. Let's try to be as graceful as we can be, but also recognize sometimes there's bridges that are too far to cross. And in all things, let's continue to seek to serve the Lord and to glorify and honor Him no matter what. Pray with me.